on the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big issues shaping events and conversations throughout this turbulent region. Our usual host is our Monitor President, Andrew Parasoliti. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and I'm a senior correspondent for our Monitor, who normally travels around the region and reports stories from the ground, but can't really these days because of COVID. So I take over the show now and then to speak to the amazing females who have so much to say about all of this stuff. This week's guest is a woman who has dedicated her entire career to doing just that, giving voice to some extraordinary women. Her name is Gail Tumok Lehmann. She's a pretty big fish. Gail is a former war correspondent an adjunct senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, and the author of two New York Times bestsellers. One of them is Ashley's War, which tells the harrowing tale of a team of US women special operations forces doing battle in Afghanistan. It's now being made into a movie by Universal Pictures. The other is called The Dressmaker of Khair Khanna, which is about a young Afghan woman entrepreneur who tries to create jobs for women under the Taliban. Not easy. But it's Gail's latest book that we're going to be discussing today. It's called The Daughters of Kobani, and it's about the valiant fighters of the Syrian Kurdish Women's Protection Units, the YPJ, who shot to global fame with their fearless campaign against the Islamic State. Gail did seven trips to Syria for the book, which focuses on three of these incredible women. There's actually already a lot of buzz around the book because the Clintons, Hillary and Chelsea, have acquired the rights to adapt the daughters of Kobani to television. But don't expect some action-filled chick flick. The Daughters of Kobani tells the highly complex story of the US decision to partner with the Syrian Kurds against the Islamic State and all that has entailed. So Gail, welcome to our show. It's so exciting to have you with us and we know you're extremely busy. So we're super, super grateful that you agreed to come on. And I'm going to just jump in and ask you my first question. What would you say distinguishes the women fighters of the Syrian Kurdish Women Protection Units or the YPJ from the others? These women that you captured, I think, so brilliantly in your new book. I'm so delighted to be here with you. I love your work and the site's uh, you know, news. And so I'm so thankful to you for having me. Um, this story really started with one of the soldiers from Ashley's War calling me and saying, you know, you have to come to Syria. You have to see what's happening on the ground. And, and the Daughters of Kobani book really takes readers along the journey with me uh, as she calls me and trying to figure out um, who these folks were, why it mattered, and to really put in context, uh, particularly for the U.S. audience, um, what they were doing to really lead the fight against the Islamic State. Do you see any parallels, culturally speaking, between these women and the American women, for instance? And what was the interaction between them like? Absolutely. You know, every story I've had the privilege of working on, Amarine, is, is really about a group of women potentially underestimated from the outside 
who rise to the moment in service to something greater than themselves. And that's the first book, which was about a teenage girl whose business supported her family under the Taliban, or Ashley's War, uh, or certainly now the Daughters of Kobani. And there's one really universal moment that I knew uh, this story would reach audiences uh, all around the world, and including in the US, which was when I was talking to uh, Rojda, who was one of the commanders in the Raqqa campaign uh, to rout ISIS from its uh, so-called capital. And I asked her, why form the women's protection units? Why do you need to do this when your uh, ideology really already is, is focused on equality? And she looked at me and she said, we, we just didn't want men taking credit for our work. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little bit of a lighter moment amid, you know, an incredibly difficult set of moments, but it really gets at the universality of women's experiences wherever you are in the world. No, absolutely. But then, on the other hand, there's also this critique um, that, you know, glorifying women in combat is actually not the best thing. And particularly in the context of uh, Syrian Kurdistan Rojava, where there almost seems to be this pecking order where women who take up arms are at the top. Um, what, what, what would your response to be, would be to that, particularly since you're also a strong advocate of women's education? Shouldn't girls be actually in school? 100%. There is no better vaccine against poverty than educated girls. Truly. And the thought that has animated every book I've done, every bit of work I've had the privilege of doing, is that suffocated opportunity is the enemy of global stability. I think anybody who spends time in war, it's impossible to glorify war. It's truly awful. And to your excellent question, what I wanted Daughters of Kobani to be was a look well beyond kind of the spectacle into the look at the real um, world that these folks inhabit and the why behind why take up arms, but also the very important political a discussion about who they were and what they were working toward, which was uh, and really could not be divorced from the broader discussion of women's equality, uh, girls' education, economic empowerment. Um, everybody I talked to in the book, and this is very clear throughout the Daughters of Kobani, was that the, the military piece was simply a means to an end. And I do hope readers see that uh, very carefully. And I think anybody who sees war up close, which everyone who reads the Daughters of Kobani will uh, comes away uh, as, as moved as I was by both uh, the horror and the nobility, as Admiral McRaven was talking about it, uh, of, of the war experience these women face. You've put that so well. It was really an existential fight for them, fighting the Islamic State and securing an environment where girls can go to school, as you say, and fighting an ideology that absolutely says girls shouldn't be in school, but should be enslaved. So um, this takes me to my next question. The, the other concern that exists regarding uh, the Clintons uh, adapting your wonderful book to television, uh, especially people who you know, are strong advocates of the YPG worry that this you know, um, you know, television will sort of dumb down their story, trivialize it, you know, um, sanitize it and possibly uh, because it's the Clintons and because it's a delicate uh, question, especially when Turkey comes into the picture, that they might, you know, um, sort of 
censor the whole thing and not talk about Abdullah Öcalan, for instance, the Kurdish uh, leader who's currently in prison in Turkey, who informs much of this uh, ideology about uh, uh, gender equality. Will you be involved in this project uh, as it is adapted to TV? Sure, and, and thank you for the question. My responsibility always is to the people who trust me with their story. And it's something I take very, very personally and deeply. And um, once they trust me, my job is to find the best partner who cares the most about it, who understands the complexity, uh, and who is committed to getting it across the finish line with integrity uh, and, and with um, a real uh, love of the story. This matter of, uh, you know, Turkey and the relations between this group, the YPG, and this group that's fighting Turkey, the PKK, uh, has caused quite a bit of uh, controversy and obviously uh, led to, uh, you know, a breakdown in relations between Turkey and the United States. And we're already seeing, um, you know, negative reports about your book being adapted to TV by the Clintons in the Turkish media. Turkey can be quite aggressive uh, when it's pursuing its perceived enemies and spends millions of lobbying dollars in DC. Are you concerned that the Turkish government might take it upon itself to sort of launch some kind of a lobbying campaign against you, the book, and the, the, the film? The book goes into how we reached this moment, why the Americans uh, worked with this partner force. And the book is not about my views. The book really is a chronicling of this moment and how it led to uh, the US working with the YPG and the YPJ. So I deeply hope that people will actually contend with this as a collection of facts and understand that context really is important. And that I worked very hard to bring the context into play here. I deeply hope that people will read The Daughters of Kobani because what I wanted to do was take people into the complexity that was facing US policymakers. If you remember in 2014, when this book begins, uh, there has been no defeat for ISIS. They are on a roll. And the book really takes readers into uh, American policymakers grappling with who the partner force might be. How do you figure out how to defeat the Islamic State? on the ground in all its complexity. And I think that is what I want uh, readers to take away from it. And that to me was the most important thing to not shy away from the complexity of these conversations, but to really embrace. What would your advice be to the Biden administration going forward with regard to its relationship with the Syrian Kurds? What sort of, of future do you see for that relationship, given the strong pressure from Turkey for it to end? And also, obviously, with the Russians and the regime and the Iranians applying as much pressure as they can to sort of squeeze out the Americans, what will happen? And it, what should happen? Sure, it's a fascinating policy question as well as an existential one, right? Because the Americans are going to have to contend with this question within the next several months, right? As many of the people who were part of the formation of the policy return to government in the Biden administration. And so I think this will be very much, uh, as much as national security and foreign policy will be front and center, uh, so will this question be. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind these were America's uh, partners in the fight against the Islamic State, that these were people who lost 10,000 uh, of their own 
uh, in the fight against the Islamic State and that that weighs heavily uh, on US policymakers as they think about what is next. Also, I don't think anybody thinks that this will end except through a diplomatic dialogue. And that that is front and center in, in people's minds as to what must happen for this conversation to continue. Getting back to the war against ISIS and the sort of whole idea that, you know, the United States sort of doesn't get its hands dirty, as it were, just, you know, participates in the campaign from the air. There was, you know, astonishingly few U.S. casualties and none of them in direct combat uh, throughout this war against ISIS. Yet, as you said, just said, 10,000 you know, Kurds and Arabs died in this fight. Um, as somebody who's covered other wars, uh, how do you feel about this whole new approach to war where the, the Americans use uh, local partner forces? Isn't, isn't there a kind of ethical problem there where you expect others to lay down their lives for you? Here's what I would say. I would say that for the Americans, the ghost of the Iraq war hung over every decision made on Syria and that that continues to be the case. Uh, There was no question that President Barack Obama did not feel he could put U.S. ground forces uh, in any place uh, in the region with the public support and public support matters a great deal. Uh, And I think for the Obama administration, The question was, and and the book really takes readers into it, how do you deal with this threat of the Islamic State while also uh, keeping your public behind you and committing to your, uh, basically, campaign pledge, which was to not begin additional wars in the Middle East? The Obama administration felt it had been elected to end wars in the Middle East, certainly not to begin them. And that weighed on every decision they made when it came to Syria. Uh, And the the truth was, and as this book uh, takes readers into, you know, this was the question about how do you get a buy with and through? How do you find a partner force that is willing and committed to make the sacrifices required to end uh, the Islamic State in their region? A fun question, if I may. Um, do you, will um, General Maslum or Ilham Ahmed or Brett McGurk be in the, in the film? <laughs> We're at the very earliest uh, moments uh, of this, but uh, I would just say I w- would hope to come back to you uh, as this project proceeds. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm dying to see whether you do have those guys in the film and who you'll pick as actors. That's going to be really interesting. Finally, Gail, um, you have some roots in the Middle East yourself. Uh, I believe your grandfather was from Iraq. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what you felt going back there to the region? Yes, sure. And and the book, uh, Daughters of Kobani, actually talks about uh, this. It was very moving for me. My father was born in Baghdad. Uh, my grandfather's from Kirkuk, a grandmother from uh, Baghdad. And yes, nobody in my family had been back for six decades, actually seven decades. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So it was... When you say he was from Kirkuk, we know that there are um, ethnic Kurds who are of the Jewish faith. Was your f- a grandfather an ethnic Kurd? To your knowledge, do you know? 
That is my understanding. And I think many of you are oh listeners. My goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I, I don't really know because I think many of your listeners will understand, you know, once my father didn't talk about many things and this was one of them, you know. Oh gosh. It was, uh, it, displacement was the central fact of his life. And he did not talk about it. He's now passed uh, and would not have a conversation with me about it. But I did think of him all the time when I was working on the Daughters of Kobani. And I hope that people see in that dedication to him as was uh, to Eli, who taught me about Marlboro Reds uh, backgammon. Yes, I saw that. I saw that. And you also mentioned that you picked up a few words of Kurmanji. Is that right? Oh, I did. I absolutely studied Kurmanji. My teacher is amazing. She's uh, based in, in the U.S. Uh, and I, as I said in the book's dedication, all failings as a student are mine. I saw uh, that. So can I ask you to Chawai? Oh, Vasha, Svas. Oh, okay. Well, great. <laughs> Listen, Gail, it was fantastic talking to you, and we all look forward to watching the film on TV. But um, the book, the book is really amazing. It's such a difficult topic to to navigate. You know, it, 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 it's it's such an obscure part of the world. Yet you do a fantastic job. Thank you so much, and um, we hope to have you on the show in the future again sometime. Thank you for having me and thank you for uh, all the work you do. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. I'm Ben Kaspit, I'll monitor veteran columnists reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I'm glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. Okay, guys, that ends this week's edition of On the Middle East. Andrew Parasoliti will be back next week with another super interesting guest. I hope to be back soon myself with yet another brilliant woman. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.